0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: What's up, y'all? It's Russ Par. Welcome to the Russ Parcast. Uh, today, we'll be talking to Jason Reed, who is a writer for ESPN. He's got a great book out about black quarterbacks. be talking about that. Also, teachers are being offered money not to retire or quit because of a teacher shortage. And we'll be talking to a good friend of mine who was a former teacher and we're going to weigh in on that. So let's get started with Mr. Jason Reed, Jason Reed. Hey, how are you doing? Fine. Of course, Jason Reed is a senior NFL writer for Anscape ESPN's platform, exploring the intersections of sports, race and culture. And of course, uh, I've, I've admired your work for a long time, man. You're, you're a beast. And uh, I'm really excited about your book. I, I can only give you talk to you about experiences that in my lifetime of the quarterbacks that I've watched, but the book is called the rise of the black quarterback, what it means for America. First of all, let me ask you, you know, this book is just kind of like long overdue. It's something that a lot of people in NFL, they just really don't want to talk about what basically inspired you to say, okay, it's time to talk about it.
2: Well, first of all, Russ, thank you for the kind words. Um, I, I've been covering NFL since 2007. It, you know, I, there are a lot of things that inspired me to 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 well write this book. Uh, conversations with Doug Williams, the first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl, and as well as the Games MVP award. <clears throat> you know, excuse me, was one of the, was one of the specific things. But just in general, a, as as a black man, I I, I knew something about the history of that position in the NFL and racism in the NFL. And since I've been covering the, the league, it, it just really hit me like, how did these black quarterbacks, this this group that was incredibly marginalized, black men who aspired to play quarterback in the NFL, how did they rise up to this position of incredible power where the two highest paid players in the NFL are black quarterbacks? And there are five superstar black quarterbacks who are on the top 10 paid list. And they are... People who influence the game that have all this power. So I really wanted to dive into, okay, how did this happen? How did this group that was considered stupid right. and and lacking leadership ability get to this point of of immense power and influence and, in and the most popular and successful sports country?
1: And that's interesting, uh, Jason. We're talking to Jason Reed, um, uh, who's an incredible writer, and I, I and I have to say this. I go all the way back to James Shaq Harris. Are you familiar with James Shaq Harris?
2: Oh, Shaq is is someone who has been a mentor to me and he gave me a lot of time for the book. There's a chapter in the book on James Shaq Harris, um, who was a star quarterback at at Grambling uh which is historically back at college university played to the legendary Eddie Robinson yeah. is a, is a great friend and a mentor to Doug Williams mm. who also played at Grambling but yeah shocked um Yeah I was, was one of my favorite chapters I was a
1: Rams fan and I and I played high school uh, I I was a quarterback and of course the stereotype was that the black quarterback Usually wound up being a wide receiver if they get, got to the next level or another position or running back because the black quarterback, this was back in my day, just didn't have the mental capability to operate that position. I know you get into that.
2: Oh, absolutely. That's a big part of the book that, that you know, the so-called thinking man positions, up the middle positions, quarterbacks which is basically the quarterback of the offensive line because you have to make the line calls, and the middle linebacker, which is the quarterback of the defense. And, you know, talking to to Shaq um, and talking to Doug Williams and Warren Moon about the way things used to be, you know, James James Harris became the first black quarterback to start in the Pro Bowl, to start in the playoff game. He did that with the the Los Angeles Rams before they left town and then came back. And the the, the belief was by the people who – Control the NFL that black men could not read defenses. This weren't smart enough to do that, so you couldn't put them at the most important position because you would lose. That that was the right. thing. And, and there was a time in that those the, guys changed that mm-hmm.
1: because there was a time where you know black folks weren't allowed in the NFL and to give them like the most important position and you know, and a lot of these athletes deserve that position. I, I remember James Shaq Harris. I was a fan of the Ram fans. And this dude had a, a rocket for an arm. And, but you know, as soon as there's a mistake, you know, you can hear the underlying, you know, your colleagues with the underlying racist um, kind of connotations as to uh, a limited ability to think. And that bothered me for many, many years. So I'm, I'm excited about reading this book because I'm, I'm going to get on a plane. I'm going to read this whole thing. But I, I have to tell you, man, it's like watching the Kaepernicks and watching the Lamar Jacksons and the Kyler Murray's and this new generation of, of, of black quarterbacks. It's got to give us a, you know, we got to pause and go, Hey, okay. This is long overdue. These people deserve these, they deserve these positions. Um, one thing for you is like, I know that there's been a lot of uh, athletes that, that has, has influenced a number of us to be bigger and better. Uh, do you think that the black quarterback of this day is getting the respect due?
2: Okay, generally speaking, things have never been better for African American men in the NFL who play quarterback. I mean, the the, the money, the the attention they receive for their success on the field, the endorsements. So I just want to make that clear up front. However, as Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas Kansas City Chiefs pointed out last week, there is still something where you where you see some of the language and you want to, say, well, why am I being evaluated this way as opposed to somebody else? There were some uh, anonymous quotes that came out basically saying that Mahomes, you know, questioning, quite frankly, his ability to read defenses and the fact that once he, once he gets off his first read looking at his first receiver, he has to play street ball, which is very coded language. And yes. Mahomes <laughs> felt the same way because he, he addressed that situation. Yeah, so, so, you know, things look, there's no question that we are in the era of the black quarterback. There, there, there are superstar black quarterbacks in this league. There are young black quarterbacks up and coming. There's a pipeline coming from college. There's mm-hmm. a pipeline coming from high school. But there is still coded language. We are still in America, and racism hasn't been eradicated.
1: And I think Lamar Jackson has endured some of that because they always make comments about his ability to run. And so, you know, and sometimes, and, and, and correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, Jason, but... Sometimes I think when you have, let's, let's say, a black backup quarterback, it's sometimes it's like, okay, we're going to run this guy. He's going to run the ball as opposed to letting Tom Brady run that same play where he's running. I, I think that happens. And and if I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean,
2: well, I mean, I, I can specifically talk about, the, the, first of all, what you mentioned about Lamar. L- Lamar – you know, there's this lazy narrative around Lamar that he can't throw the ball. And I could point to metrics to show he's improved as a passer. Mm-hmm. But there were some anonymous quotes about how, well, you know, if they have to pass, they be the Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson team, that they won't win. But they, the, the Ravens have won games with Lamar passing the ball. That's a, it was absurd. Those quotes are just ridiculous. And, you know, back in week five last year, Lamar had one of the best passing games ever I mean you know not just for him I'm just period mm-hmm. and he's improving as a passer. he's not a finished product yet so yeah you know, you see a lot of these things and you hear them and you know it's fair to ask where's this stuff grounded well where's this stuff coming from
1: yeah the rise of the black quarterback what it means uh for America um I know you're you're dealing with Colin Kaepernick's uh, peaceful protest uh, which basically you know really, Dealt with police brutality and bringing attention to it. And he paid the ultimate price with his career. Um, what is your position on Colin's position?
2: Oh, there's no credible argument that can be made as to why Colin Kaepernick had to have his NFL career ended from a football standpoint. Mm-hmm. Okay? Like Colin Kaepernick is, is not in the NFL because he angered owners. He angered team owners because he took, he took a stance and he, he brought attention to systemic racism and police brutality. That's the only, those are the reasons he's not in the NFL because from a football standpoint, there was no credible argument that Colin Kaepernick has not been on an NFL roster. And you know, you look at where this league is now, years after what Colin Kaepernick did, Patrick Mahomes in a video, mm-hmm. said, Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs in a video said, salute, you know, black lives matter. You, you know, you have to acknowledge this. Mm-hmm. And because of the power of Patrick Mahomes' success, the league did acknowledge it. So, But Colin Kaepernick started this movement. And he started a movement and was willing to stand on principle and risk losing his career. Mm-hmm. And he, in fact, did lose his playing career for no other reason. Team owners were not happy that he was potentially costing them money.
1: Uh, The book, by the way, um, The Rise of the Black Quarterback, What It Means for America. I got to ask you because, you know, many years on ESPN and all the work that you've done, um, you might be able to uh, uh, make a comment about basically we're we're talking about uh, the uh, Cleveland uh, Browns quarterback um, who uh, just was received a six game suspension. We're talking about uh, Deshaun Watson. Um, what is your position on that? Um, do you feel that he should have got a six six game or a whole year? Or do you have a position on that?
2: Oh, look, look yeah. I mean, the league, the league wanted uh, a year-long suspension and a half to five. Uh, the, the disciplinary officer who was appointed by the league and, and the NFL Players Union looked at what, what, looked at what was put in front of her. Sue, her name is Sue Robinson. The league made its argument. Um, the, the, the NFLPA and, and uh, Deshaun Watson's people made their argument. And in her 15-page ruling, what she determined was, hey, what happened here was not was not right, and Deshaun's actions were not good based on what she could determine. But there wasn't enough evidence in her evaluation to warrant a year-long suspension. Now, and we have to remember the NFL personal conduct policy. You don't have to be you don't have to be charged with a crime. You don't have to be convicted of anything. But two grand juries in Houston declined to indict Deshaun Watson. And in making her ruling, she obviously determined there just wasn't enough evidence to warrant a year-long suspension. Now, the league can appeal, and Deshaun's people already said they are not going to appeal. Now, will the league appeal? Look, the league looks horrible in this because yes. the mm-hmm. reality of it is public opinion is that Deshaun should have received more disciplinary action so it'll be be interesting to see if the league does move
1: forward and appeal well you know you you look at the uh, owner of the uh, New England Patriots uh, where he had his issue I I, I don't remember him getting suspended Ben Roethlisberger um, we all know about his being accused of rape which is huge Um, and I don't want to minimize all the victims involved with, with Deshaun Watson but it just seems like there might be a little double standard. Now, Ben received a six-game suspension, okay? Um, you think that that was the bar that they set for Deshaun?
2: Well, I, I, I do um, in terms of, of the suspension. I mean, when you read the NFL personal comment policy, given what Hugh Robinson ruled, I am I, not shocked that that's the rule given the policy. Now, as far as Robert Kraft, you know, you, you, you referenced him. Robert Kraft is not subject to the NFL uh, personal comment policy. That, that, that's uh, clearly about that, – that is specifically related to players. So, I get what you're saying. The optics aren't good, but it, 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 it's, it's not comparable under the collective bargaining agreement. Um, but, look, we're really talking about optics here. And the optics about the, the Watson disciplinary action, they're not good. And that's why the NFL – the I went into this knowing this, which is why I pushed for a year of suspension and a hefty five.
1: Jason, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. The book, by the way, y'all, um, you guys got to check it out: "The Rise of the Black Quarterback: What It Means for America." Uh, I cannot wait to uh, pour through this. Man, this is—I'm uh, a huge fan. I Played the position, so I—I I can kind of relate, but on a high school level. Uh, but I—I I knew that. They never wanted me to pass the ball. They always wanted me to run. And I had a gun for an arm. And, but you know, so I see how that, that, that's what happened to a lot of these brothers when they got to the NFL, man. Run, don't throw. Okay. But listen, man, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, Thank you. All right. Take care now. Coming up next, we're going to be talking to a former school teacher. They're actually offering money to school teachers to not retire. Can you believe that? We're going to get into why, where and because that's coming up next, y'all stay right there, welcome back, y'all, and of course, um uh, right here is my coworker and, and of course uh, one of the producers of my show, uh Tanisha Nicole, who's a former school teacher, and we were talking about how in Des Moines, Iowa, they're offering teachers fifty thousand dollars not to leave their jobs. Mm a teacher shortage and this is for like retiring teachers i mean there's some stipulations you you have to be uh 60 years old or older uh you need 15 years of employment in the in that public school district and um i don't know i tanisha i know you taught for many years is this kind of insulting 50k
0: it's extremely insulting because it just tells me that all those years you could have give more money because I'll tell you right now, being a teacher, they've spent $50,000 throughout all those years to retire on their students. I'm pretty sure on yep. their classrooms, on their education, you know, so to me, no. And, and I think when you get to that age, Russ, uh-huh. teachers aren't just leaving that are, you know, within that age and retirement just because of the pay, because they stayed in it for their passion. What it is, is they don't feel supported when it comes to the job itself. It is just terrible.
1: Especially by some parents. Oh, yeah. Because there are a lot of parents that, you know, basically view you as a glorified babysitter. Mm -hmm. Not all, just a few. They don't partake in PTA meetings. They don't show up to school. They don't sit down and go over the homework with their kids. And then when their kids go to school, and they start acting out, the parents show up and want to know what the teacher did to make them act out.
0: Absolutely. And we're, also let's talk about the a- academics. So if a child is failing or isn't doing well, instead of holding the children accountable for that, A lot of times it's like, well, what are you doing? You need to do this in your lesson planning. You need to put more videos in. And it falls on the teacher instead of the child. And administration, if you don't have a good administrator, nine times out of ten, they're going to make you do more work to clean it up.
1: Well, you know, back in the day, they used to, like, try to put pressure on teachers to get the kids to pass standardized tests.
0: Mm -hmm. I don't know if
1: that's still the case. Oh,
0: yeah, they do. Oh, yeah. So so,
1: you don't even teach them anything other than how to take a test.
0: Yeah, taking a test. But this is the thing. So as a teacher, when you go to do the standardized test, right, you may have Mm -hmm. students in there that when you receive them, they weren't even reading at certain grade levels, right? They weren't Mm -hmm. even at that level. So you automatically know. You can only meet them where they are and try to, you know, help them progress, That's still a mark against you. And I remember teaching in Las Vegas and we had a meeting and we were going through all the data from our scores Mm. as a school. And I said, do you realize the students that we have, we had a lot of at-risk youth, the trauma that they sustain. Let me tell you sitting in front of that computer, that kid is wondering what they're going to eat tomorrow
1: night. Mm. Well, let's stop it right there because I'm going to take a quick break uh, because at the end of the day, I want to ask you about one of the most harrowing experiences you had as a teacher uh, dealing with parents or whatever. So stay right there. We'll be right back. Yo, welcome back to the Russ podcast. And of course we're talking about teachers that are being offered incentives not to leave the profession, actually retiring teachers. I see in Des Moines, uh, Iowa, that they're offering 50 K to teachers to not retire because they have a teacher shortage. And, of course, Tanisha Nicole, who's a producer of my show, she is a former teacher. You're not surprised that there's a teacher shortage, are you?
0: No, I'm not at all. And I'm surprised it says, hasn't happened sooner mm-hmm. because... There's been so much. I mean, let me put it this way, right? As a teacher, you have to come up with lesson plans. Some of your classrooms, you could have 40 kids in a classroom. You can have 40 kids. And in those classrooms, you can have individuals that have, I don't like using the word disability, but individuals that uh, may have various types of things going on with them, right, that uh, they need extra support in learning. And you're trying to balance all that. But let's throw in the equation on top of this, well, you have to do during your lesson planning period, you're in mm. teacher conferences, IEP meetings, the time, oh, I got to go monitor the class, uh, the cafeteria. Oh, mm. you got me having do an after school duty. So it's nonstop grading the papers. We got to have rubrics. Like when wow. I tell you it's very extensive in the amount of work you put in and then when you get that paycheck. Mm-hmm. I'm struggling to make ends meet. It makes no sense at all.
1: Right. So let me ask you, I, I know that you have, haven't had a lot of harrowing experiences, uh, experiences as a teacher, but I know you know a lot of instructors that have. Wh- what was one of the most egregious things that happened to a cohort or, or, or yourself?
0: Well, I can tell you, um, dealing with the kids and trying to find the right ways to... Uh, Deal with certain behaviors and and everything else because I've had individuals that were, um, had anger and rage issues or whatnot. Mm. Um, I just found different approaches to work with them. But what I will say is, uh, I remember in a classroom, uh, there was a kid, and I can't uh, obviously won't say his name, but he was known as this, uh, pretty intimidating bully, pretty big Mm. guy, had been held Mm. back. I was teaching middle school. And uh, he was known to he, – he walked around proudly with all these pink slips, right, which is going to the office. He was proud because right. none of the teachers wanted him in his classroom, uh, in their classrooms. And uh, I was teaching, and there was a young black girl and uh, her white friend. They were sitting together, and they just looked like they had fear in their eyes. And I was like, you know, what's going on? And they were like, nothing, nothing, you know. And I said, no, no, what's going on? Go ahead. And um, come to find out that guy had said to them, if I was black, I would hang myself from a tree. Mm. And I remember they just were so afraid, you know, to speak up. Wow! And so I didn't do what necessarily is probably in the teacher handbook. I went up to the uh, guy and I said to him, I said, oh, so I should be hanging from a tree right now. And he looked at me and he was like, oh. I said, no, 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 We were in math mm. class. I said, no, 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 You're good at this. So since you said that, right, mm-hmm. it can only equal that. And He was like, well, and then I could tell he got embarrassed because the other mm. kids were, you know, and he right. was like, yeah, yeah. So he kind of got into that. Yeah. You know, he had a I said, OK, let me make this clear, sir. I can't change the way you think. And I feel so bad for the raising that you have from your parents, because this is something that you have learned. I said, mm-hmm. but don't you ever in my classroom in my presence ever say something like that ever again mm. so what i did the very next day and i i had went to i knew the administration wasn't going to do anything there was nothing mm. the boy should have had already been expelled or suspended for things he had done and i tried something different he was walking around one day and i screamed out and i called him a nickname i can't say the name and i waved i said good morning i love that beautiful smile and from that day forward we had one of the biggest connections wow. he asked to be in my classroom um mm. he i put him he in wanted my
1: attention he needed love
0: he needed love and, he came and to my knew how to do it he came into my theater class and he got wow. drinks and stuff for the cast he was in a play totally wow. did a turnaround so it's the extra Denise work and Nicole, i do. wish
1: you were my teacher when i was coming up it sounds <laughs> like you had a great connection thank you so much for being on the Russ podcast i really appreciate it you're welcome there it is another exciting rust podcast and i want to thank tenacious nicole also uh jason reed from espn for being part of the show make sure you guys uh listen to the rust podcast and wherever you hear podcasts you can hear us leave your comments whether you think the show sucks or whatever it's all love because it doesn't hurt my feelings uh yeah it does just kidding y'all take care